You're listening to the Medic Materials Podcast, hosted by Mike Turek, a paramedic and educator with over 10 years' experience. Every month we review actual EMS calls with the help of current practicing EMS providers, bringing educational opportunities directly to the listener. Portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of those involved. Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Mike Turk and welcome to the Medic Materials Podcast. It is September 1st, 2020 and this is episode number two of the Medic Materials Podcast. So I welcome you squad. It's going to be an interesting one today. We actually have our resident EMT, Justin, our awesome paramedic Gerard going to be joining us and we have a new special guest who will chime in a little bit uh, here and there and that's our resident EMT intern Kelsey. So she's still learning and she's going to ask the uh, the questions that maybe possibly you guys learning as well out there uh, in your first EMT class or maybe uh, EMT refresher class might not, uh, you might have the same questions as we're talking so hopefully she will uh, ask those that you might be wondering. So it is great to have her with us as well. But before we get started, squad, I want to first talk about the upcoming episodes that you're going to be able to see on the uh, Medic Materials YouTube channel live every Friday on YouTube at 2 p.m. Eastern. And this month, because kids are going to school, our uh, our buddy Shane had a great idea about thinking pediatrics. So we're going to do a pediatric vital sign episode and, and a couple other pediatric episodes. But I also want to touch on something that happens a lot in pediatrics, and that is the use of epinephrine in anaphylaxis. So that episode is also going to be coming out sometime this month on a Friday in September at 2 p.m. on the Medic Materials YouTube channel. So stick around for those. Make sure you go over there and subscribe. And guys, just if you have any type of questions or thoughts of upcoming episodes or call reviews, make sure to send us an email info at medicmaterials.com and give us your your thoughts, your questions. Maybe shoot me a call that you guys have done for a call review and you could hear your call review on the Medic Materials podcast sometime in the future. So without further ado, guys, let's get right into the call review with uh, Justin, Kelsey, and Gerard. We're going to be talking about an interesting topic, uh, a call that uh, I think you guys haven't heard about it yet. So as we're discussing it, nothing really went awry in it, but it, it gave a very interesting perspective on vital signs, let's just say. So to start off the uh, the review Think about a very uh, residential area, um, secluded. Your closest hospital is about an hour away, and that is a local community hospital. All other hospitals, level one trauma centers, level two trauma centers, uh, cardiac centers are about an hour and a half to an hour and 20 minutes away from this location. You have a paramedic in a fly car, and you have a transporting ambulance with two EMTs, and then you have uh, CFR level first responders with the fire department. That's that's who you get uh, on this call. We're gonna start. Comes out as a 76 year old gentleman who uh, is found on the floor of his residence. Paramedic arrives first. Uh, it was about a three minute response time from uh, where the paramedic was. The EMTs are 20 minutes away at that point. So the, the paramedic is there with the with the neighbors for at least 17 minutes prior to uh, 
the EMT's arrival. Paramedic gets there. Neighbors come out. They say, um, we tried checking on the gentleman. Uh, we check on him, you know, every day. No one's checked on him since yesterday evening. We couldn't get, you know, no one answered his phone. No one answered the door this morning. So we ended up walking through or, you know, going through the window to access the apartment. And we found him laying on the, um, on the bathroom floor. Don't know how long he's been there. He's acting really weird. He could be having a heart attack. That's what this paramedic was told. Um, paramedic walks in, finds him on the bathroom floor. He is, um, he's alert. His eyes are open. He's kind of grabbing at the walls a little bit, but he is completely altered and he's mumbling. You cannot understand an absolute word that this guy is saying. He kind of mumbles his name and that's pretty much the only thing that you get out of him that you can comprehend. Um, there is urine everywhere, puddles of it in the bathroom. Um, and I want to stop here at this point. What are you looking for? What are you thinking at this point? Just seeing that presentation, what questions are you going to ask as providers yourselves? Did the guy have a sinkable episode, which was the reason why he ended up on the floor? Is he a diabetic? whose blood sugar is low, which could be the reason why he's on the floor. For me, um, I'm thinking, you know, is this a neurological event? Did we have some kind of a, uh, you know, stroke, CVA, uh, that originally brought him to the floor? What I really want to know right now is what does he look like? What is his skin look like to me uh, you know are his respirations regular are they irregular is he you know huffing and puffing um you just just basically i want to i want to take that 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 macro look and you know forget the scene you know we've been on ugly scenes i want to know what he looks like right now okay so all all valid questions and the paramedic is thinking is it a is it a cardiac event is it a syncopal episode is it you know a diabetic event what this what this gentleman looks like is um again covered in urine soaked through in urine um upper body pale as a ghost absolutely you cannot get any paler uh, in the torso, the the limbs are cool. All four limbs are cool. The um, the torso is warm, uh, but it's not hot. You know, it's it's normal. I would say for uh, for skin, you know, warmth. And however, the feet are getting a little bit mottled up to about the knee. Okay. Uh, that's that's his generalized appearance. You don't see any trauma. You don't see any bleeding. But you do, as you're looking in the room, you see that he's got towels padded underneath him. He's got, um, you know, the, the towel bar had been ripped off of the wall. Um, but you don't see any blood. You don't see any, you know, vomitus of any kind. You just see the, the puddles of urine at that point so in time. That's going to tell me he's been down a while. Uh, the fact that he's he's packed himself around with towels, uh, the modeling in the legs, um, I'm starting to think, 
okay, we could have some rhabdo. Um, we've probably lost some circulation to the lower extremities, uh, even just from the, the conduction of being on a cold floor, uh, you know, sapping all the, the, you know, the heat out of them. Uh, you know, we could be t- dealing with hypothermia. And, and, that's a, um, and that's a huge thing that not a lot of people think about. And you coming from Florida actually is an is a interesting concept because the, the most hypothermic cases in Florida are geriatrics who fall on cold floors, air conditioners running, they become hypothermic by the time they're found. So thinking about hypothermia in the middle of summertime on a bathroom floor is not out of the realm of possibilities. That's a, that's a great thought. Uh, yeah, other things coming to mind now, um, based on what he's looking like, you know, I'm starting to think of, okay, we've got a perfusion issue that we might have to deal with probably more sooner rather than later. Um, you know, I'm still not going to jump to any conclusions as to, you know, is it cardiac? Is it, you know, whatever, but I, I've got, you know, a few things in my head, you know, we've got neuro, we've got cardiac, we've got endocrine, we've got, you know, trip and fall you know the we see the the towel rack is pulled down did he pull it down trying to get himself up or did he take it down on the way down um you know so maybe there is some trauma maybe he's broken a hip you know we don't know we've just walked in the door so those are all the things that are going through my head um like at this point in time justin do you have anything to ask or add before no shaking his head Gerard nailed it. No, Gerard nailed it. <laughs> Gerard, Gerard nailed it. He pretty much just said a bunch said a bunch of things that I was thinking in my head. So, so we we move on. This paramedic uh, decides to do a trauma sweep at that point in time. Uh, no head trauma, no visible trauma of any kind, no palpable trauma. There's no uh, any any areas that the gentleman. Uh, winces or guards or anything like that. So we're not really thinking, uh, you know, trauma at this point in time. The paramedic at that point tried to get some information from the neighbors. You know, when was the last time he was seen? Uh, they, they had said that uh, the one neighbor had checked on him the previous evening around dinner time. Um, now it's, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, you know, so you've had a good 12 to 15 hours between the last time he was seen and, and that morning. Um, the neighbor was unsure about medications and history. Uh, they had said that he was being treated at one particular hospital, uh, in the area for all of his conditions and such. So the paramedic decided, Hey, your better use is going and get find those medications if there is any and they were brought mostly it was vitamins um there was there was an aspirin there was a um uh a beta blocker and um there was a cholesterol medication another thing i would want to know i would ask the neighbors too is how does this man get around on his own is he use, does he use a cane? Does he use a walker in the residence? Does he have a chairlift to get up and down the stairs? Like what other, yeah, what, his, what, what is his ambulatory status? Could that have been a factor into, in the reason why he went down? The paramedic did uh, indeed ask uh, a lot of those questions. 
He, this gentleman is very ambulatory. He does not walk with any, you know, canes or other assistants. He walks on his own. He's very active for being, you know, mid seventies. He is a heavy smoker and a heavy drinker, but those are really, you know, it's not uncommon to find them at the, you know, the town bar, this, Mm. that, the other thing, uh, or just, you know, chain smoking in his apartment. So I have a question about the, uh, the medications. How did you find the medications? Were they in the bottles or did he have like a, a pill box, you know, with his daily doses, you know, measured out? Uh, the, the neighbor had brought the paramedic a, uh, a basket that just had pill bottles. Right. The cornucopia. Oplenty. The, right. Yeah. So you, the, the paramedic didn't have to sit there and go, Oh, what medication is this right. by? Oh, it's the little blue pill. Which right, one right. is it? Right. Uh, they could, they could just read the, the things and go, oh, Okay. This is what it is. Right. Um, so at this point, uh, it, I'm not to interrupt, but I mean, the reason I asked that question is I actually had, uh, a lady that had gone down, unknown downtime didn't know they found her uh, she was at an assisted living place and the cleaning crew found her and we couldn't figure out how, how long she was down she was telling us she's only been down since last night and I found her pill box so she has all her pills laid out and noticed she, and we had asked her and I had, you take your pills every day oh yes every day yeah she hadn't taken them for like two days. Mm-hmm. So she'd been down for two days. Right. She just had no idea she was down that long. Down that long. Yeah. And uh, again, this paramedic attempted, but with his confusion status, you know, being altered, you know, spontaneous eye opening, he was able to follow simple commands, but he was very confused and still just garbled speech. You couldn't really understand what the heck he was saying anyway at that point in time. Um, So at this point, doing the rapid trauma assessment, uh, getting the medications and such, the paramedic decides, okay, he has his monitor here. Let's put him on the monitor, see what the heart is doing. Uh, It was a sinus rhythm in the 90s. And uh, he puts on the NIBP cuff runs that and it comes up the the amazing dot 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 we don't get any numbers with the dot 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 it's a very annoying thing as a as a provider so just like any of us would do this provider tries it again because dot 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 means you hit the button again right Right, right. We don't. We, we hit the button again. We don't whip out the manual cuff. We go straight to the button. That's exactly <laughs> it. You see, this this paramedic said, "I don't even have a manual cuff with me. We're gonna the EMTs have that. We're we're gonna just press the button again." Right. This paramedic hits the NIBP again, and uh, speaking speaking to that paramedic, he told me the first uh, numbers that actually was spit out was one eighty six over one oh nine. That was the that was the first blood pressure that I actually took, with a heart rate of ninety six, and uh, an SpO two of under fifty. That that's that is your those are your initial vital signs. Do we believe them? Do we feel like the like your monitor is lying to you? What do you what are what are you guys thinking here at this point in time? 
So for me, um, I'm not going to believe the blood pressure right off the rip. Um, just because the first one was erroneous. The second one isn't really what I would have expected to see based on patient presentation. So I'm going to table it. I'm not going to not completely believe it. I'm just going to say, you know what? That's not enough for me to treat. I'm just going to say, okay, we have a blood pressure. Now we're going to see what the next one's going to give me. Now, are you going to do what you know any great paramedic would do and hit that button again? Or are you, nope. are you brought nope. up manual? Nope. But at this point, that manual cuff is in this paramedic's fly car out in the truck. He'd have to send someone to get it, which you don't want to send strangers into right. into a fly car. So why, or, did, why didn't the paramedic bring the cuff in with him? Well, the way this setup uh, is mm-hmm. it, at this particular company, your manual blood pressure cuffs are in your airway bag. And this particular medic brought his monitor and his drug bag in (coughs) because they don't technically have a first in bag. Okay. The EMTs are expected to bring in the first in bag, but sometimes, as in this case, you're without your EMTs for 17 minutes. Yeah, having worked in a fly car system, I can tell you that relying on a system like that Probably not a good idea because you could end up sitting there, as you know, for a very long time without any backup. So, yeah, I'm so, yeah, bring it all in. I would just say start bringing it all in. But, uh, it's a lot to carry okay, so we've got by no, yourself. <laughs> so, we've got no manual cuff. Um, Unless you want to walk for it. I mean, <sighs> this particular paramedic chose not to. Uh, walk I, out and I get probably it. wouldn't leave my patient. No, uh, that that's kind of my rule. Unless and that I, and that was that was this paramedic's yeah. thought process too. Let's yeah. not abandon the patient for, you know, right. for a manual cuff. They're 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 talking. It's mumbled. You know, you try and do a Cincinnati stroke scale. It's non-conclusive because they can't follow the directions. They can follow simple commands like squeeze your fingers, but not really. Right. To the point of, hey, let's do a whole Cincinnati stroke scale. Right. And, uh, I mean, I know he's, you said he's a heavy smoker, and you got a very low SpO2 reading on him initially. And, again, I, yeah, here I am. You know, who am I to second-guess the $40,000 piece of equipment? But it's not trained to know that the finger it's on may not have the right amount of circulation or be at the right temperature to give you an accurate reading. So I might I may discard the blood pressure and the SpO2 at this point. So really we basically still have no vitals except for the and, heart rate. And that's a and that's a really interesting point of view because uh, a lot of paramedics and EMTs are always taught that old adage, you know, treat the patient not the monitor. We we're giving you're getting all this information from your tools, but do you actually believe what the tools are giving you? At this point in time, this paramedic is kind of on the same concept as you. Like, hey, is that is that blood pressure accurate? It doesn't really, unless he's stroking out. But there's no there's no visual cues of weakness or facial droop or bleeds or something like that that you could sit there and go, yeah, I'm really thinking stroke here. That blood pressure doesn't seem accurate. And with the SVO two, 
he is very cool and pale. The, this paramedic's already established that he's cool and pale in the extremities. They don't read very well when people are cool and their fingers are cold, right? So that might be that one of those false positives. Like, hey, yeah, it might be 96, but he's right. And you can't get a good reading. I know the first, the first thing I would want done when the EMTs got on scene is vital signs, manual blood pressure done as soon as they get there. So that I, if I was, if I was the paramedic, I would want to know what that, what, what that blood pressure is. If, if that manual blood pressure is around the same range as the blood pressure on the monitor or if it's something completely different because if it's something completely different then you know that blood pressure on the monitor was wasn't a legit blood pressure right and so let's fast forward because there was a lot of you know there was a blood sugar taken it was in the one teens um this this gentleman did not have a diabetic history or anything heart rate this paramedic did a 12 lead the heart rate stayed in the 90s uh, 12 lead was, you know, perfect. There was no elevations. There was no depressions, nothing, you know, no blocks or anything that, you know, would cause alarm for this paramedic. And then you have a little bit of wait time, maybe five or so minutes. And the first responders and the EMTs pretty much arrive at the, at the same time. The, the paramedic looks at the EMTs and wants to get this patient out of the house, right? Um, this paramedic did not want to work in the tiny bathroom anymore. They wanted to work in the nice cushy ambulance because we now have a hour and 15 minute drive ahead of us at that point in time. So, um, this is where it kind of the one thing that I, that, that when this paramedic's telling me the story, I just kind of looked at him and I'm like, why? Why would you think that way? With all, let, let me ask you guys this question. With all of the information that we have laid out so far, do you think this gentleman is hypotensive, normotensive, or hypertensive? With, with the information that we've gathered so far, your, your gut instinct, if you're the provider looking at this gentleman. What was that initial blood pressure you got on the monitor? The the, oh, the, the, the initial blood pressure that the, the paramedic got was dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. The second blood pressure a minute afterwards was 180-something over 109 or I, 110. Then I would, I would say I would think that the patient was going to be uh, hypertensive then. Okay. Given the, fact, given the fact of the systolic number. On the second blood pressure from the monitor, I would just think that taking a manual blood pressure, I'm going to get a systolic number roughly around the same range. Okay. Possibly. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, that would just be that would be my my gut feeling with the high systolic number on the monitor. A manual blood pressure is going to give you're going to get something along the lines something of similar. that. Something similar. Gerardo, rebut that. Mm, okay. Because uh, I know you want to. Uh, from my favorite, one of my favorite movies, Office Space. 
I shall uh, paraphrase. Yeah, I'm going to have to kind of disagree with you on that a little bit. Just so, like we talked about treating patient, not you know, not the numbers. You treat your patient. Um, for me, I think until proven otherwise, just based on his skin condition, I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about low perfusion. So I'm thinking hypotensive. That's why when that number came out and he's like, you know, 180 over one, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not even trusting that. Because I've never seen anybody pale and clammy right. and just right. looking like crap and come out and they go, hey, I'm 200 on 120. You know, yeah. They no, have a whole different presentation whole different at presentation. that point so, in time. But that's not to say that, that they couldn't be because, you know, if he's on a cold floor and his, and his body's shunting blood because of, you know, hypothermia, you know, bodies do weird things. We're all different people. We do weird things. So who am I to say that you couldn't be? But just from my experience, I'm going to, I'm banking on hypotension. And, and that's, and that's what this paramedic was banking on as well. Oh, a resident intern wants to talk. So this is, I guess this I can ask. Hi. Yes, this, this is Kelsey, Kelsey, our resident intern. Okay. So I would have guessed what you would have guessed, but my question is, wouldn't it be more likely that you would get dot, dot, dot of no answer if it would be harder to find a blood pressure that was lower than it is to find a blood pressure that's higher? Correct. Okay. Absolutely correct. So the monitor, when it cannot read or is having trouble reading, it times out and it gives you dot, dot, dot. So as soon as, as I, I can guarantee from my personal experience, from Gerard's personal experience, I can guarantee you this paramedic sitting there going, Okay, this is my presentation. He's pale, he's clammy, he's confused, he's mumbling, he's been on a cold floor, he looks mottled from the knees down, his SpO2 is under 50, but he's, you know, got cold fingers, and now I get a blood pressure of dot, dot, dot. I'm thinking, just as me personally, this guy has no blood pressure. He is... 60 and under, who knows? Yeah, I've, I've already got a bag in my right hand. Right. Like, I'm already thinking IV, uh, this guy's getting at least a liter, and we'll see how this goes, right? The paramedic wants to get this gentleman out of the house. So in your opinion, what would be the best way to get this gentleman out of the house? Can you walk? Yeah, he cannot walk. Small, I'm thinking, you said... You said uh, you said the paramedic was in a small bathroom, correct? It, the, yes. You, you, would, you would have to say it's, it's maybe three and a half feet by six feet long. I, I would say either try to slide him out to a wider area and use a Reeves. Okay. Or if you can actually get, the re, get, a, get a sheet under him in that bathroom... Use a sheet and then try to get him on the Reeves and get him out. So I, I want to give you a gold star for being an awesome extrication person. Awesome. Gerard's going to agree with you wholeheartedly Absolutely. on that one. So the only thing that this paramedic was thinking was Reeves out of this house. The yep. only thing. That was the only option no matter where they are. What made me when this paramedic is telling me this story and I want to bang my head against the wall is one of the CFR EMTs goes, okay, I'm going to start getting this stuff for extrication. 
I'm going to go get the stair chair. And I heard that and I'm like, no, do you want this guy to go unconscious on you? Like, and, and, and this, this is shit. I want to take a break and I want to shift into a discussion about orthostatics and orthostatic vital signs. Right. So one of the things that everybody does and does incorrectly is orthostatic vital signs. Correct. We do them because we think we can, we can gauge dehydration off of them. And, and it, it really, I've never been a proponent of them. I know some paramedics live and die off of orthostatic vital signs. I know from doing QA, there's at least one that I know of that, that uh, works with us that does them on every single patient. Right. And <laughs> and the sad part is that I know exactly what you're talking about, and they do them wrong every single time. Most providers lay your patient down. They wait two, three minutes. They sit them up. They nail them with a blood pressure. And then they stand them up, and they nail them with a blood pressure, and they go... Hey, look, we have an orthostatic change, but that's not how we're supposed It's a very time-consuming process. And if you're going to do an orthostatic test on, on a patient, you might as well go ahead and plan to be there for at least five minutes. It, even longer. Yeah. Even longer. I, you know, in, in, in the literature that I've read on orthostatics, and, and I, know, I know Kelsey's staring a hole through me right here going, what's an orthostatic vital sign? Because she is. Um, so, so orthostatics for those, the, uh, for those in Kelsey's spot that don't know what orthostatics are is when your, your body is 70% fluid. So as you maneuver your body, fluid shifts. If you're, if you have a lower amount of fluid, you will see an increase in heart rate and a drop in blood pressure when you have this fluid shift. So we always start with someone laying down, right? We have, we have a nice fluid exchange through the whole body when we're laid down. So we'll have a higher blood pressure laying down. We'll have a lower heart rate. But then we sit ourselves up and that fluid goes from our upper body down to our lower body. And this typically you will see orthostatic changes within a minute of moving. So they happen very quick. The body normalizes itself fairly quickly. So this fluid shifts, and typically, if you're dehydrated, you have a lower fluid volume, you'll see a drop in blood pressure, and you'll see an increase in heart rate. Then we want to stand someone up. And now we really have a large fluid shift from laying down flat to standing straight up. And these, this is where someone might get dizzy. They might want to feel like they pass out or... You know, you'll really see a drop in blood pressure and you'll really see a spike in heart rate, maybe up to 30 points in heart rate and 20 points in blood pressure. But it all takes time. The literature that I've read, you want 10 minutes as a baseline for just a supine position before you take a a vital sign. So they have to be laying in a supine flat position for 10 minutes before you do your first vital sign check. Then you sit them up. You do an immediate blood pressure. You look for changes because that change is going to happen within a minute. So you do it immediately. But then you have to wait five minutes for it to normalize again. Then you stand them up and you're supposed to wait another two or three minutes for them to renormalize. But like, like with the orthostatic, like what I was going to say was, you know, just fr- from my former life, um, 
you know, you deal with uh, what we call God's G. Okay, and it's not, you know, any kind of uh, you know accolade for me, but <laughs> just just sitting here, we are all experiencing one time the force of gravity. We are at, we are experiencing God's G. So when you stand someone up, you're not just, you know, it's not necessarily a a, a motion thing. It's it's almost a resistance or a um, a compensation to an increase in the g-force. So you're going from a supine position, completely flat. You've laid there for five minutes. You've you've reached homeostasis, right? Now you're sitting that person up. You have you have to conquer that force of gravity to get them into that position. It does take the body some time to compensate and then refind its its center again. So yeah, we've seen people. Okay, lay down, sit up, stand up. Hey, great, good. Look, there's an orthostatic change. Uh, you know, I solved the problem. No, you haven't solved the problem. Right. You know, you, you, you haven't found anything. Right. All you all you've done is is proven, you know, some basic laws of physics. That's all you've done. Good for so, you. Yay, science. Right. Um. So, this paramedic, going back to the to the review, this paramedic did not want anything to do with raising this gentleman's head upright. Because if this paramedic is thinking low blood pressure, hypotension on the start, now we're going to make it worse with an orthostatic change sitting him up. So, this paramedic argued, no, Reeves is the only way. This particular person argued well we can't fit the reeves in there that's not an option where just get this paramedic said get a sheet get a reeves we'll figure it out go that point in time they go and get the extrication equipment the the em one of the emts comes in because they're on scene as well and their first instinct is hey have you taken a blood pressure yet and this paramedic goes yes but i got dot 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 which gives me nothing and I've I've gotten this ridiculously large blood pressure that I don't really believe. So they go, okay, well I will take a manual. Yay, good job for you, right? You're on top of the ball. EMT takes the blood pressure, looks up at the paramedic and goes, yeah, I think it was like 90 and then I never heard anything. And paramedic goes, okay. At least it's a round number that we might be able to work with. Okay, cool. They're able to extricate this gentleman out on a on a sheet to the Reeves in the hallway. Reeves him straight out onto the stretcher. Go into the ambulance. Now there's there now they're transporting hour and twenty minutes to the hospital. And paramedic is still thinking, hey, hypotension. He's still altered. He's still super pale. He's still cold. Someone needs to get a line. Looks everywhere. Completely flat vasculature. Looks, looks, looks. Nothing is popping. You're either going to try and hit something that you think is there and hope for the best. Or you might not get access. At least that's what this paramedic is thinking. So... The ultimate decision was there is no viable IV access 
arms were looked at, hands were looked at, biceps were looked at, um, jugular veins were looked at, legs were looked at, feet were looked at. This paramedic loves to hit feet veins, was like, hey, I'll go down there, nothing. At this point in time... I think I know who you're talking about now. At, at this point in time, there's no access whatsoever other than Gerard's favorite means of of getting access. It's not my favorite. It's, it's totally just, your favorite. It's just I have end up having to do it more <laughs> often than most people. Um, it's the, the I.O. Uh, the I.O. The, the drill. The drill. So... You gotta break out the Makita. So this this paramedic like decides th- this paramedic decides the only way of access is a uh, intraosseous drill. And, and I was just gonna say, you know, and let's just real quick touch on that decision because uh, even just recently, within the past week, I was faced with, and she was with me. Um, Hi, was, Kelsey, the intern. Yes, Kelsey, the intern, was with me. And uh, and I remember looking at her and going, you know, I'm, I've am i got a hard decision to make here. You know, I couldn't get access on this patient. And it was one of those where they were almost, almost unstable. So they were potentially unstable. And I would have liked to start getting fluids going like you know yesterday but they hadn't reached that threshold of you know being totally unstable so it's it that decision making process of you know when to break out the drill and do it uh in this in that case i did not i I chose not to i said we're just going to take it in and you know if anything gets worse then we'll do it now me just hearing this story how long was your transport time at that so point? So that's what made the decision mostly uh, for me was the fact that we were going to the closer hospital, which was about, what, 12, 15 minutes tops? Yeah. yeah right. Like that. So mean, at that point, you have time to spare. Right. At it, that point. You it, have time to risk. Right. It, it wasn't where we were going to be at the hospital sooner rather than later. Right. Um, if we were going the other direction, if we were going to go north... You know, where we've got 30, 40 minute transport time. I, I'm not sure that this person would have been able to compensate that long, and I probably would have pulled the trigger. But that whole decision making process, you know, yeah, it's okay, so I've done a few of them in my my, my <laughs> lifetime. But, you know. But I just want to sidebar <laughs> you have done more intubation, or you have done more IOs than I've done intubations. Let's put it that way. And you've done more innovations than... Exactly. uh, And I've done more innovations than IOs. Right. Okay? So, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, and it is kind of weird just how, how, you know, the the cards always end up, you know, playing out. But, but, yeah, but I have found that, that, you know, making that conscious decision to, you know, resort to that, you know, very invasive procedure... Uh, and, and that's exactly what it is. It is a procedure. It's 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 you know. It's not, oh, I'm just going to slam a line in the guy and dump fluid. No, right. You are doing something very invasive to the human body. Uh, so it's not something to be taken lightly. And it's it, again, it's that you know, like with this particular call, the way this patient is presenting, the fact that there's no IV access anywhere 
that I would be comfortable even attempting. Um, I know me personally, I might do a, well, I know anatomy well enough where I'm just going to you know, try and stick an 18 somewhere that I, I'm pretty sure there's a decent vein and let me see if it works. I'd probably do that first just to give it the old college try. Uh, I probably wouldn't sit there very long messing around with it. And then I think in this particular case, this is definitely one of those where you've got an hour and 20 minute transport. He needs fluids like yesterday. Probably, you know, maybe even more, more than that. Um, we need access. This is not something I can walk in with no access. I have to get access to this patient's right. vascular system. And, and that's exactly what this paramedic was thinking, minus the, the thought process of giving it the old college try. It was, look, look, there is no confidence in a single attempt site. This guy is altered. We still don't know what his blood pressure is. You know, he's still satting in the, you know, even on oxygen, because at this point we had placed him, you know, on oxygen. He's still satting in the 50s. So, again, is that because he's not oxygenating well or is that because the probe isn't reading well because of, you know, the pale, cool, clammy skin? So this paramedic decided IO is the way to go. IO was successful, 40 milligrams of the lidocaine, followed by uh, a thousand bag under pressure, gave about uh, full to the hospital. It was 1,100 mLs of fluid total, um, maybe even 1,200 if I remember correctly, but there was a mental status change around 750 mLs. At that point in time, he was still confused, but now his speech cleared. You could talk to him. He told you, I got up. I went to the bathroom. I tripped and fell in the bathroom this morning. I, you know, I never lost consciousness. It was, you know, I've been underground for like six hours, blah, 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 blah. He could answer certain questions. He was still confused about a lot of things, but he could answer the majority of your questions. Really, the only other... And, and, and vital signs... So, shortly, I think it was... Uh, this paramedic said it was maybe three to seven minutes after the IO was successfully put in, they got their first blood pressure, which was 47 over 25. When... Wow. When the when the medics saw that, they decided to check it with a manual. That I believe. When when they when they decided to check it with a manual, That's it crazy. it came over as forty over thirty. Holy cow! With a with a manual, so at at that point, now you're looking at the 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 reason why I I bring up this call for review is because we 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 want to look at that whole treat the patient, not the monitor thing. Right, this this patient looked hypotensive. They seemed hypotensive, and then they were hypotensive. There was no, there was no calculation in this paramedic's mind. Like, hey, I have to futz around getting a blood pressure to spit out forty over thirty before I treat something. It was, and I thought this paramedic did it very well in that they saw all these symptoms. And said, ah, 
I don't even need a blood pressure to start doing something. Then I'll get something. Over the course of the call, the blood pressure did increase. It went up into the 90s systolic, then uh, one teens. And then they, when they dropped them off at the hospital, they said it was somewhere in the 109 to 105 range systolic. But at that point, he was awake. He was talking. He actually uh, knew the EMT, and they were talking about life stuff. Like, paramedic literally just sat back and was like, hey, here you go. I did what I did. I'll just monitor everything, and you you know, make sure he keeps talking kind of thing. So I had a similar um, case like that where, you know, it was a very low blood pressure. Uh, MAP was in the 40s. Um, completely altered mental status, couldn't answer any orientation questions, just kind of had that, you know, lights on nobody's home stare. And uh, unfortunately, with, with my patient, I ended up having to, go and use a presser but yeah once he hit that map of 65 and I've told you the story where like I was literally you know writing something in the chart and I just heard someone yell out Trump and I I look and he's looking at me and I'm like what and he goes Trump president of the United States mm-hmm. the orientation questions I was asking him you know previously 30 minutes previously and I looked at the monitor, and the map was 65. Yep. So Boom, num- look that, at that. Noodle that number, perfused. Right, dude, that number is not... It's They didn't just pull it out of a hat and say, hey, you know what? 65 is a good number. Let's just use 65. You know? Uh, there's something to be said about, you know, suddenly the brain gets perfused again. You know, Magic at, happens. At, at the right level. Boom. You know, welcome back. Um, so it's it's... I want to build off of pulling numbers out of your butt statement that you just made. So I'm sure this is kind of a a weird thing. I, I don't hear about it a lot from current providers. I hear it more with students that are just in EMT or paramedic class is the whole concept of if they have this pulse, they'll have this systolic blood pressure. And, and I, 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 I save this to last because I think it's the most important thing that we could talk about is this whole concept of the ATLS, the advanced trauma life support concept from years ago. Now, this concept was debunked in 2013, but people are still like I taught an EMT class two semesters ago. And they're still like, oh yeah, well if they're if they're you know if they have this, their their blood pressure is sixty systolic, and I'm like, no, like that is fake science. There is no there is no direct correlation between heart rate and blood pressure. And and so, well, well heart rate and blood pressure, yes, but pulse right. and blood pressure, right. no. So so if for anyone that is just new and they have never heard of this concept. Um, there was a concept put out in the old editions of advanced trauma life support that said, if you felt a carotid pulse only, only a carotid pulse, the systolic blood pressure was somewhere between 60 and 70 millimeters of mercury. If you could feel the carotid and the femoral pulses only, it was somewhere between 70 and 80 millimeters of mercury. And if you're a radial pulse only present, that it was somewhere above 80. And that those were the numbers that we lived on. 
when I took my EMT class way back when, that's what we learned because that was current science. Well, then you, Kelsey asked, what if you can't find it? Well, then you just suck at taking vital signs and you should practice more. <laughs> or you should start getting ready to do pushy pushy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with that too. Why did you find the karate, but you can't find the femoral? Cause like, there's, there's yes, okay. I agree. Um, so contrary to popular opinion, but, uh, Femoral is more groinish. Yes. Than it is femoral. It is. When, so you got to dig yourself you way get, up in that up crotch in and, and <laughs> yeah, get all in that femunda. And <laughs> 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 Make sure you're wearing your gloves. So, so there was, it, it's a limited, <laughs> there's a, there's a very limited tiny study. They only did it with 20 patients. However, the, um, the assessment and the conclusion from this, this, um, this study was the advanced trauma life support ATLS guidelines for assessing systolic blood pressure are inaccurate and generally overestimate the patient's systolic blood pressure and therefore underestimate the degree of hypotension. Um, the minimum blood pressure predicted by, by the guidelines was exceeded in only four of the 20 patients that they tested. So ultimately, ATLS got rid of this around the 2013 date, and now it's no more, but it's that lingering fake science, like a home remedy, that won't die. The guy who created this, I, I forget the doctor's name who created this, literally has written a paper that said, when I created this, I plucked those numbers out of thin air. Wow. Like... Because he was proven wrong study after study after study. He finally had to admit it and sit there and be like, yeah, I just made him up. Wow. So it, in, in conclusion, take your vital signs manual when you can, trend them. And if the monitor spits out something you don't believe, retake it. There's plenty of things. I personally think, honestly, that the very first blood pressure that should be taken on a patient is a manual blood pressure, and then you work from there. I, I agree with that, that wholeheartedly. I just, I agree with that. I honestly think that should be something in every EMS agency. The first, very first blood pressure you take on any patient you encounter should be a manual blood pressure. And then after that, you base everything off of that manual blood pressure. Then you use the monitor and take the rest of your blood pressures if you have to. But your initial blood pressure should be a manual blood pressure because that's going to be your most accurate blood pressure. And, and I, I, whole, I, I will say I agree. I don't always follow that procedure. Me personally, Ladies I will gentlemen. always have my EMT if it's a respiratory or a cardiac patient or they look terrible. Manual blood pressure. If it's like, hey, stub toe kind of thing, I'm like, I don't care whatever. Um, and that's just, that's me. Maybe my bad habits as paramedic. We all, we all um, have them. I know we all have them. At least on the serious patients, I'm like, Hey, you got to get a manual first. Cause then I have something to go off of. And, yep. and you, me and Kelsey were having this discussion is don't ever, I will always respect any provider that looks up at me and goes, I don't know. Like I, you know, I love it when, Someone goes, I didn't hear it, or I 
don't know. I tried it. I'm I tried it. I'm not getting it. I think it's around here, but I'm not sure. Can you do it? I will respect you as a provider tenfold more if you do that than if you go 120 over 90. Because I'm going to believe you. Because you're my partner, I'm supposed to believe you, or you're a coworker, and I'm supposed to believe you because you know how to take a set of vitals. And now you just lied to me, and now it's a cardiac patient. I might be given nitro, and the guy's really 50 over 30. Right. And now I give nitro, and he's dead. Mm-hmm. Right. So, for those new people out there, don't ever lie. If you don't know, just say you don't know. I don't know of a provider that I know that will sit there and be like, "Ugh, you suck. Go die in a ditch." Like. Well, there there are providers out there that are like that, but I'm sure there are. They're, they're firemen. Few, they're That's their problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I literally sat here and bit my tongue, not making a fire medic joke. And there he comes through, just 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 steps right in front of me and whacks it off the tee. You're Thank welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Our resident fireman is sitting here with a <laughs> not for nothing, but not all firefighters are like that. And I'm I'm one of those firefighters. That's not like that at all. Uh, you're welcome. So, <laughs> so to, so so just to, I mean, coming off the vitals of the day thing, um, just for a second, another thing I wanted to think about, um, or I think people should think about, uh, especially the ALS providers uh, out there who are going to be administering fluid. You're going to be making doing the IO on the guy. You're going to be putting the IV in. You're you know you're 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 going to put fluid into this individual who's hypotensive. So we know he's shunting blood. We know he's been on the floor for at least six hours. We're getting these SPO2 readings of 50. Which after he warmed up did come up to over 95. Well, I'm, I'm sure they did. But so where I'm going with this is how many of you out there at your agencies are riding around in your, your ambulances with IV bag warmers. Mm. Because let's say this patient is hyper, uh, is a hypothermic. Hypothermic, my bad. Um, let's say the patient is hypothermic. You're now going to dump 74, 75, whatever you get the AC set on in the, in the, air, in the ambulance. You're going to dump that temperature fluid into that person's body. And you're going to exacerbate your problems. You're going to have a lot more to deal with now. And I and, and that is something that you really need to think about. And to go off of that is agency heads, don't be cheap and just tell your crews, oh, yeah, just stick them over the heat vents in the front dashboard. That'll yeah. do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that won't burn them. That, yeah, it's just blow on it. Blow yeah. a bunch of hot air on it. No, yeah. no actually go out, get a bag warmer, put it on the, you know, put it on the shelf in the back and call it a day. If there is no bag warmer, could you theoretically like tape a hot pack to the IV bag? You can, but it takes- if, if you were to go that route, don't do it to the bag itself. Do it to the IV line because you you're not gonna heat you're gonna lose all that heat in the IV line once it comes out of the warm bag because you have a four foot line between the bag and the patient do it a foot 
a foot and a half above their IV site where it's not on their arm or something. Tape it there. So it runs down cool, warms up, stays cool, goes in, or well, stays you, warm, goes into their body. Yeah, you think if the you know thermodynamics with, with fluids, you know, is it easier to heat fluid, you know, this much fluid going through a little line like that quickly, or how long will it take you to heat a thousand mils of fluid sitting in a bag? You know, you're going to be sitting there for a while with that that heat, but you probably have to put another one on there. Right, you'll you'll be sitting there two, three yeah. heat packs. <laughs> so yeah, so as it's running through, it'll get warm. It, it's not going to get to ninety eight point six. It you know, it's not going to get to the body temperature, especially on a you know, if it's a summer day and you know, we've all got our air conditioners blasting in the freaking you know, in the rigs. You know, we, well, we don't like to sweat. We, you know, we we you know, we, we, no we one like likes to, to sweat. No one likes to sweat. We, you know, I, I I can only take so many clothes off, but I can put more blankets on you. <laughs> You know, little old lady. So, <laughs> but, but I digress. Um, but yeah, heating up that line is, is you know, maybe 90 degrees, 85, something like that. It's a lot better than 70. Yeah. You know, uh, so uh, there was just a little something I was thinking about, you know, food for thought. Um, you know, if this was a hypothermic case, not just a, a hyperperfusion uh, issue. So... My two cents. So my question is, I, I can't really say question because I know the answer, but my my thought is, where did all of this fluid loss come from, right? And that, that was, was my, and that's and my and, and that's okay. So Kelsey's sitting here like that's my question. Yeah. So, and that was this paramedic sitting there going, where if their blood pressure is forty over thirty, where is this fluid gone? And what ultimately was found out after that mental status change was that he had been sick from the previous night, had been vomiting with diarrhea through the evening. So there goes all your fluid. And at that point, knowing that piece of information, once the paramedic got him to be not altered to the point where he can answer questions, now you get a bit more of the story. Um, and that's, and that's ultimately where all that fluid loss had come from. So, um, that's, that's the call review. Kelsey, I want to push it to you first. Last time you had some questions that we didn't answer this time. Do you have any questions being that you're the intern and new people listening to this may have the same question? I do not. The only question I had was where would the, fluid where did all the fluid go? Okay. I didn't think he would have urinated out that much fluid to drop. It, uh, there was a lot of urine. There was not. 1200 mls or more you know of of fluid on the ground justin you look lost are you thinking of a question no i actually learned something out of this instead of having to ask instead of instead of having to like ask a question at the end i actually learned something from this yay like what like those, those signs and symptoms that that guy had, I was wrong with what I thought. Now I know next time if I ever encounter something like this, what what it is, and, you know, like and really, it's it might not be what it is, but it's something for along, you to think lines, of. Yeah. Like this could be what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yes, Kelsey. I have a hypothetical. Okay. So if your CFR had stuck the guy on the stair chair. Yes. What would his, have happened? Yeah, with his bl- blood pressure being that low, what like effects are you thinking of? 
I don't. Gerard goes. We'd be put doing pushy pushy. I don't know if we would have gone that far, that quick. But I guarantee you, we are as soon as as soon as that crew sat him upright, lights off just like that. Oh, yeah. you, that that head. If I was there, I would literally paint the perfect picture of sit him up. Put him on the stair chair. Boom. Lights out. Unconscious. Unresponsive. Yep. Guaranteed. You know, no way around. It. And think about this. This paramedic found out that he was on beta blockers. Beta blockers lower heart rate. They don't allow the heart to compensate for hypotension, which is why this paramedic didn't find him with a heart rate of 130. They found him with a heart rate of 90. For the entire duration of the call, it never changed. Even when they pounded 750 mLs of fluid in, they said it was still 90. So this gentleman has no compensatory mechanisms. So I guess my other question was, um, or my my question is, um, with this patient, knowing we didn't have a, a reliable SpO2, knowing we didn't have reliable blood pressure basically we didn't have reliable vitals for for a good period of time and title catnography yes was it considered not on this particular okay. person at least it wasn't documented it wasn't told to me okay i was just thinking about it because especially with that amount of fluid loss um being again, we didn't know that it was from you know the previous evening where he's he's you know had a uh, a, GI a GI issue, issue. right? Um, but the fact that there, along with that loss, you're also going to have uh, some you know metabolic issues that would have changed. Perhaps you know the end title might have given you a hint as to where his body's at. You know, in that type of range. Um, I think I think that's absolutely a fair yeah. thought process. Um, you, I don't see anything wrong with putting end title on. Yeah. You know, is he acidotic because he's been on the floor for six hours because he's now in rhabdo right. and he's got some lactic acid buildup? Yeah, I don't think that's a far stretch at all. Yeah, I was just curious. Was, uh, you know, out of everything, it was never mentioned. So, and I, I remember, you know, a few minutes back, I'm sitting here thinking. Did anyone throw him on entitled? Nope. So, yeah. Not as far as I know. Okay. All right, guys. That was uh, this week's or this month's episode. We'll uh, wrap up and we will see you guys next month. Thank you for taking time to listen to the Medic Materials podcast. If you got anything out of today's episode, be sure to follow the podcast. If you want to be a part of our daily EMS discussions, join the Medic Materials EMS Education Group on Facebook. And be sure to watch our weekly instructional videos on the Medic Materials YouTube channel.